Well, good morning. At this point, our students are free to take off to their own programming out in the back, so uh, you guys are going to head on out. Otherwise, uh, so again, if you're in junior high or high school, you're free to go. Otherwise, this is also a PG-13 level kind of conversation, so if you're student child is in the room and they have not been introduced to a conversation about sex, we would encourage you to, uh, to have them uh, go to their appropriate programming as we, as we jump into this. But before we go anywhere this morning, I think everybody's eyes and ears have been attuned to the things that have been happening in the world beginning in Paris a week and a half ago and kind of rolling out now in all, all areas over there on the, uh, in Africa and the Middle East and in Europe. And so... Before we dive forward in anything, really what I wanted to do is kind of stop, take a breather for a minute, because many of us are wondering, how do, you, how do you pray about this? How do we deal with this? And there's a reminder that we need to be not only um, people who pray for, for justice, and that we are encouraged to seek that, to seek that God would bring that justice, but also justification. That these are the balancing acts that we as Christians need to think through. There is a, a deep desire to see that uh, indeed a group like ISIS for what they're doing would, would be brought to justice. And I think we should pray about that. But at the same time, I want to encourage you guys to also pray that perhaps what could happen is that some of these leaders might convert to Christ. And in fact, be as Paul was, a transformed terrorist in a sense, who, who brings about a revival to the entire Middle East. I think those two prayers are appropriate for us as Christians. And so this morning, as we do reflect on what's been happening in our world, I want to ask that you guys would join with me in that prayer and that we would lift this up uh, to, to our Lord. So would you join with me? Would bow your heads, please? Father, we do. We come before you thanking that you are the, thanking you that you are the God of justice and the God of mercy. That uh, it is clear from the day that you presented yourself before Moses that you said you are the Lord, the Lord, a God abounding in loving kindness and mercy, and yet you do not ignore the justice. And so, Lord, we, we do. We ask that you would indeed oversee this situation as you do, for you are Lord of lords and King of kings, and you are indeed the God who oversees every nation and every movement every person and every situation that exists on this planet. And we ask that you indeed in your sovereignty and your, and your goodness, that you would bring justice about in these cases for these men and these people who are um, killing innocents and destroying people and reaping havoc upon the world. And God, we know that um, we as sinners feel like we have no right to ask for justice. But because of what you did through Jesus Christ, Lord, we know we stand with you rightly. And we actually do pray for that same thing for those who are in ISIS, that they would come to the realization that they are following a false God. And that indeed that you, the Lord God, the Trinitarian, beautiful God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that you have given grace to humanity. That you would open their hearts and they would receive that, be transformed by it, and indeed begin to preach that gospel throughout the Middle East, Lord. We beg of you that you would bring these things to good fruition as we know that you are leading these pieces forward. And we thank you that you're in control. And God, as we turn the corner, we begin to have a conversation about being parents and dealing with this conversation about sex. We ask that you would indeed open our hearts and our minds to be comfortable but ready to deal specifically with these issues. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for praying with me this morning in that. 
Um, we're starting a conversation um, and closing out this series today with, a, with this final conversation on parenting and sex. Now, some of you are saying, I'm not a parent. What am I supposed to do? But some of you are old enough that um, you've had children they've gone through, but you have the opportunity to pass on wisdom to your children who might have children or even to those in your family. You may be an uncle or an aunt and you can talk to your brother or sister or whoever. Even you may have influence over your own nieces and nephews to have this conversation. You may be in charge of a, in some cases of a situation which you have an opportunity to present this information in a kind manner. Um, But mainly, this is really clear for parents and those who might be parents one day in the future of a conversation that honestly a lot of us are uncomfortable with. So when Jeremy's mom walked in, or sorry, when Jeremy walked into his mom holding this piece of paper and and looking at her and saying, Mom, Mom, I need to know what sex is. I need to know now. And the mom, like, her heart rate rises immediately, wouldn't yours? Face gets flushed. You're not sure what to do. Stammering and stuttering, she starts to tell her son about what sex is. You know, it's how, how moms and dads make babies, and it's what God brought. And, and starts, you know, gets into it, finally gets comfortable, starts drawing diagrams and explaining things. And, and the kids' gets, eyes are getting bigger and bigger, and Jeremy's feeling more and more like, what is this? And feeling more freaked out. And finally, at the end, she looks at her son and says, you, you okay? you get it now? Do you understand what sex is? He's like, sure, but I'm still not sure whether I mark M or F on this piece of paper. (laughs) We can overreact when it comes to this conversation, trust me. And so you can imagine my, how I felt, the anxiety I felt when my son walks up to me at seven last week while me and my wife were prepping to, to speak to the congregation, and, he, and he's all impressed with his reading skills right now, and he looks at my page of notes, and he reads the final point last week. Um, we need to deal with the pain of sex. Now, that coming out of a seven-year-old sounds really awkward, so... <laughs> But the reality was we, we were kind of like, okay, well, he's like, what's sex? And so I'm like, it's how a mom and dad make a baby. And he goes, ew, and he walks away. And that's pretty much how Jonathan has now been introduced to the conversation. So meantime, the next day I'm driving out to the pool with my daughter. She's uh, going to be, uh, she was heading uh, to, to do swim practice. And she turns to me and she's simply, you know, talking about things that are going on at school and, and who likes who and all this kind of stuff. And then she goes, you know, dad, I heard that. Is it true that our state lets men marry men and women marry women? And I'm like, I'm so glad I've been, pra- I've been studying for pa- biblical parenting, you know, because uh, p- parenting on this issue, because I'm not ready. For- I was ready, actually, for that conversation. We actually entered into an excellent conversation about homosexuality and what it is and how it, how it works with the fall and all these pieces in our world. And so it was beautiful when I knew we were talking about sin in general by the end and not specifically one certain issue. And so it was one of those awesome situations. Some of you guys, you know my daughter's 11. You're going, you're having that conversation already? Absolutely. And I want to encourage you guys that you as parents and those of you who have young ones in your lives, we need to be having these conversations and we need to start speaking to our children about sex. You, you got to understand, there are people ready to talk to your children about sex in this world. Be it the internet, be it their friends at school. I mean, face it, how many of us really got our sex education from a bunch of junior hires? Let's be honest. That's where I primarily got mine from. And boy, were they wrong about most everything. You know what I'm saying? And here we are as the parents who, who, have, who care more for this child than anyone in the world. And honestly, you are better experts than anybody you know to talk about this matter with your children. 
And, and so I want to encourage you to follow the biblical command that and Paul gives us in Ephesians. The father is not to provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This term instruction means the whole of God's truth. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, then it's our job to introduce our children to the conversation about sex and what it is. From, from how God created it out of marriage. And we need to have this conversation about why it's good and blessed and amazing in marriage. We need to point them to a positive biblical conversation and understanding. In fact, when you do that and it comes from parents, it lowers the promiscuity rate of a child down 70%. It's incredible. Do you realize how important it is that you and not the school district teaches your children about sex first? That it's you and not the youth director who teaches your children about sex first? Because I guarantee you, school district's not teaching them first, and neither is the, the youth director. But you need to get in there, and it needs to be early. And it's, not, and it's not just that we need to have a talk. You know, it's been popular for the talk to be, to be talked about among, in the 80s and 90s. Oh, it's time for the talk. Oh, are they, have you had the talk yet? No, I'm going to encourage you guys not to have the talk, but to have talks. Plural. Not one, multiple Because this is about a lifelong situation. Our children need to be comfortable and understanding that you are the primary understand the one who the primary source of this information. You think that's gross, that's uncomfortable. No, it's empowering. Well, you want the kids to go look it up on the web? I don't think so. You know, you don't want them to go ask their friends. You want them to go ask some other guy in town who is another dad? Yeah, that doesn't sound right. No one's going to love your kid like you do. No one's going to engage as well as you will. Trust me. It may be uncomfortable, but it's time to suck up and get some courage and stand firm in the fact that God has called us to do this. And not just one talk, but talks. He, we need to have lots of conversations about sex with them. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 11 speaks of, again about how we introduce truths to our families. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and your soul, so it needs to be within us, and you shall bind them as a sign in your hands. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, so you need to be living them, and you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So that's, that's when you're at mealtime. That's when you're hanging out with the family playing board games. That's when you're getting up and you're on a, on a drive somewhere, like taking your daughter to, a pool, to the pool so she can go have practice swimming. It's that time period when, you, when you're about to go to bed and they ask you that question. It's when you get up in the morning and you're all, you're all running around like crazy at, at the, or breakfast, you know, all the time. These, this is a woven reality of bringing the truths of God constantly into your home. And this is one of those truths that we need to talk about. It needs to be a part of. And so what do you teach? How do you teach it? What, what do we do about this? Well, let me just encourage you guys. We've given you a lot already. If you've been here for the, for the series, you remember in the first sermon, we laid out God's perspective on sex. And that's really where you start. You need to teach God's perspective on sex. From Genesis through the fall, from the idea that sex is what happens in a marriage and pornea is what happens outside of that, that they are two different things. They are not the same thing. And that's a helpful distinction to give to your children. 
That would have, the, the desires being flowed outside of marriage are radically different than the ones that need to be, that are being met in marriage. One is knowing one another. It's a dance. It's a constant conversation we talked about last week. And so just taking this series and, and listening to it again on the website can give you enough biblical insight and help as you begin to unfold this conversation. You're not going to be like, I have no idea what to say. You, all, you can take the notes and you'll have that there from the first week all the way through. And it'll give you guys some good sense of all these differences. And, and so hopefully this series gives you an opportunity and a package so that you don't feel by ignorant when you step forward to talk to your children. But you feel empowered, you feel knowledgeable. Now, I didn't say just put the CD on. That probably wouldn't be a good idea. You need to be the one who tells them and talks to them. But then what's beautiful is that we can begin to talk to them about the dangers of sex and we don't have to fear that we don't know where to go. In fact, what's interesting is the scripture talks about these dangers and talks about it in talking to children. In, in Proverbs, in fact, there's two very large conversations about sexual immorality and sexual desire that occurs in chapter 5 and chapter 7. Two very different conversations. We don't have time to look at both of them. In fact, we barely have enough time to really go through chapter 5 um, all the way, and we're not going to get all the way through it, but through most of it. What I want to do is ask you guys, open to Proverbs 5. It's going to give you a pattern or some ideas on how you can approach this conversation in dealing with the dangers about sex, and you can use the rest of what we've gone through in this series to lay out the positive side as we move forward. So Proverbs chapter 5, if you don't know where Proverbs is, it's kind of roughly right in the middle. You're going to run into this book called Psalms, and it's going to, you can move to the right, and you'll be good right there. Otherwise, you may end up with some really strange names, Isaiah, Ezekiel, those kind of guys go to the left. And so you'll land right there in the book of Proverbs. Otherwise, Bible's on the seats, page 530, and you guys are right there with us. And so it starts off this way. My son... Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. So right away, this is directed to a young man, likely within the age ranges of 12 upwards to 15. This isn't like some old, this is Solomon writing to his son, probably Rehoboam and his other sons. Now Solomon is called the wisest man in the world. He was given wisdom by God for the running of the nation. The interesting thing is about Solomon is that he wound up with, uh, the wisdom seemed to only go so far. He wound up with a hundred wives and a thousand concubines, which is rather obsessive. And it's just, it's, it's just way too much. So he seems to know something though, doesn't he? And so he's like, hold on, let me tell you, let me give you some warnings here. Son, this is not how you should live your life. Let me tell you how you should live your life. He then starts, he says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. What's interesting is where he starts, and something that a lot of us parents are afraid to do. He starts with the reality that temptation and sin is desirable. Notice what he says. He says, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Now that's not like, oh, I really want to kiss you. That's not that language. It, it literally means that her words, her, her temptation, her, her allurement is as sweet as honey. It's like, oh. Now honey is to us like, oh, honey, unless you like it on pee, you don't want your jelly, you put honey on it. You want some honey on some, in your tea. That's pretty much where we use honey because we have sugar that's taken over honey. Sugar industry has filled our world with desserts and ice creams and all this stuff, all this sugar that you and I get to enjoy all the time. But in the ancient world, if you want to enjoy something sweet, you probably sweetened it with honey. And it was the only really real substance out there that they knew of that was one of the sweetest things. You had to hunt for it and look for it, and you'd get it. 
and you would taste it, and oh, it was so good. It's just like we treat sugar. We love sugar. They loved sugar. They longed for honey. They loved honey. They enjoyed it, and that's what he's getting at. He's saying her lips and her ways are smooth. They're desirable. They're enjoyable. You'll want them. That's really important because too often I think we've told children, oh no, it's evil and it's ugly and you don't ever want to do that. And they're like, well, why does everybody else enjoy this then? What's the, what's the big hype about? And suddenly we create an allure of mystery. This is sex is this thing that, shh, we don't talk about it. We don't even mention the three-letter word. You know, it's like this secretive thing. And the bottom line is, he comes right out. He says, no, obviously it's alluring. It, it looks great. And we need to be honest about that. We need to be honest that, hey, there's going to be days where you see a pornographic image, young man, because it's going to happen. And it's going to want to lure you in. It's going to want to suck you in. But it's how you act in that moment. That's smart. You need to remember something, that though her lips drip with honey, and again, this is not an knock to women, by the way. This is a, there's a personification, actually, of sin and temptation in various forms, and it's aimed at the sons. But this applies just as directly to women, too, so don't knock yourselves out on this. Um, you're, you're in on this conversation. And so, but it goes on, it says, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Wormwood was a, a, a root that was used to create poison and it just extreme bitterness to invoke vomiting and things like that. So it's a really nasty thing. And then how many of you have ever tried to catch a knife? Anybody in here done that? You're a smart group. That's, okay, a few of us have. So you're like, yes. All right, it's just one of those things you're chopping and it drops and you're like, and I've, I've tra- you train yourself to back away because you don't know what the knife's going to do. You don't try to catch it. A double-edged knife is sort of like a falling knife. When you have a double-edged sword, you can wield it, but if you're not careful, you're going to cut yourself as you're trying to cut someone else. And that's the danger that's going on. It looks like it's productive. It looks like it's helpful, but it's deadly. It's dangerous. And so he says, we need to, we need to clarify some of the dangers that are happening here, some of the consequences that are going on. Notice how he describes the dangers. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. This is what's interesting. Notice he doesn't say what most of us parents want to say when we talk about these topics. We're like, don't do it. You'll die. It'll end up in a horrible scenario and and immediately this is going to occur to you. You know, we want it to be this consequence and bam. And if he was to say that, he would say, her steps are like a cliff and upon which you fall immediately off. No, he says it's a path. It's a journey. It's a distance. You don't even see the destination as you journey down this path. As you walk down this path, it is headed to the grave. That's what Sheol is. It's the grave. It's the underworld. It leads to death. She doesn't ponder the path she's walking on. She's just going down it, and you're just following along. And you got to be careful because you don't know the end. This is why so many of us go like, hey, it's no big deal. I sinned. Nothing happened to me. See, mom and dad, you're wrong. Because it's not about the immediate. It's about the path. It's about the journey. In the end, there are vast dangers on this path. This is where I think we really begin to, if if you follow this pattern, why we need to talk about STDs with our children. You want to talk about a consequence. We can talk about pregnancy, yes. And pregnancy, actually, the longer you walk on that path, the more likely you are to get pregnant. That's the honest truth. Even with birth control, you have sex enough times, even with birth control, is likely you're going to get pregnant. But STDs 
are, are vastly dangerous. In fact, we just had a major article come out this week on them. They found that they've been um, alarmingly increased. The CDC is, has said that chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis increased dramatically in 2014. Chlamydia is at the highest number of annual cases of any condition ever reported to the CDC in history. On the other side, you have um, syphilis, which has increased um, up to 15% in stage three, which is the worst stage. Syphilis works through three different stages. One's like a, one's like a, a, like a rash or a flu that disappears, and you get a rash, and then you begin to go crazy. Stage three level of syphilis is increased to 15%. And, and most of these things, 20 million new STD infections happen each year in the United States, with the majority affecting 15 to 24-year-olds. And these are children. I'm sorry if you're 24, ask a 50-year-old, you're a kid. It's just how this works. <laughs> but the reality is, is in that age range, these diseases are spiking. In a hookup culture, in a culture that's devalued sex within the marriage, it has become something that is given to run rampant. And the longer you walk down this path, the more likely you are to encounter them. That's the reality of a path consequence versus an immediate consequence. And Solomon says, warn, I warn you, you don't see it now, but this is going somewhere. It's got a path and it's going to land out there. It's going to land in a place where you don't see the devaluing right now, but eventually it crushes who you are. You don't see the result of the abortion yet, but the depression will hit and the consequences are vast. And that's the reality of these kind of things that come rolling out. It's a path consequence. And so he says, listen to my, me, my son. Let me give you some instruction on how to handle this. He goes into the next portion and he tells him, you need some boundaries. Verse 7. Now, O son, listen to me and do not depart from my words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. We'll just start. Lest you give your honors to others in your years to the merciless. And he's saying, listen, you need to have some boundaries. Don't even go near her. Just stay away from her door. Unfortunately, boundaries are not something that we consider in our culture with a world in which um, uh, your phone now has introduced it to your pocket. I don't know where the boundary lies for your family, but we've understood the, the, the boundary line in media is, an, is a necessary thing in our current culture. Media is everywhere, and it's easily accessible. And we don't live in the 90s, though. I think that needs to be very clearly heard to all of you who are parents. In the 90s, our parents really didn't have an excuse for not having filters and stuff because they didn't really exist. We're in 2015, where you can have up to seven different choices of the kind of filtering system you put on your computer today that ensures the pornographic information and thing doesn't get accessed by your children on accident, which is majority of the cases. In fact, some of the statistics that you'll read, one of the most frightening one is that 11, the average age of the first internet exposure to pornography right now is 11 years old. Can you imagine wrestling as an 11-year-old with those images? Imagine wrestling for the rest of your life knowing that you liked them and you don't know what to do with it. That's the average, which means there are plenty of children younger than that that are encountering it. We need, as Christian parents, to be people who put boundaries up 
Our kids' brains are not designed to understand consequential problems yet. They, they need that help. We should be the ones putting up those filters. Yeah, it may cost you 20, 40 bucks a year. But at least then you're assured a little bit of defense. And so I don't know what media you're allowing into your home, but I would challenge you, get a filter. Get, get covenant eyes, get a safe, uh, safe eyes. There's all kinds of different different ones out there. And, and you can actually assign your child a password and they can sign up and you can get a report on what they've been looking at and they can give them time limits. There's a lot of great stuff out there for the internet safety. And, and all of us should be thinking very clearly about that because I guarantee if you don't have it and your children's active on the, and your child is active on the internet, it's likely they've already seen pornography, period. Now, the other problem is that we, we deal with technology. The phone systems that we have, we need to be more careful with. I watch people hand, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I watch people hand iPhones to kids earlier and earlier and earlier. Now, no, you can lock them down. You can erase the internet off them. You can lock them off. So, but you can't stop texts. And sexting is one of the most popular, aggressive forms of or trying one person trying to reach out to another person in our junior highs and high schoolers to get them to want to, to go out with them. Now, you have to literally go to your internet provider, or sorry, your phone provider and tell them to lock off um, video and, uh, and pho- photographs from texting. And you can do that. It just takes time. It's not an easy access thing. And yet, this is one of the biggest things that's going on. And I'll tell you what, it's one of the reasons we're not so sure how to give my daughter a, a cell phone because, I'm, you know, one, I don't think she'll do it, but I don't want to give her the temptation to show herself off to somebody that she's not going to get married to and cheapen her value. Not to mention I have three boys. I don't need any girl, girls to go, hey, check me out on their phones. And then they look at, they pick up that phone and guess what happens next? That, who's that phone registered to? It's registered to you, which makes you a child pornographer. And there are people who are being charged because of sexting because it's on your phone dads or moms this is not a joke this is the kind of stuff our kids are dealing with and will be dealing with let alone the new revolution and virtual reality that's coming out and the craziness that's going to bring into our problems but I won't, don't have time to go there because I don't know what that's going to look like but I already know we're talking about it in the theology world and the reality is simply there needs to be boundaries. There needs to be boundaries on your media. There needs to be bound, and you need to teach them why. You need to talk about the sexual predators and the things that are out there. You need to talk about touch and appropriate touch and appropriate play, especially at young ages when tickling and wrestling and stuff between the sexes is still around because children who have been molested oftentimes don't know boundaries and you have to really help your children know and understand those things. Then you need to move into at least a conversation about modesty. I think young men need to be taught in modesty how to treat a woman who's dressing immodestly. The first thing they need to do is if they're lusting, they need to turn their eyes away and control themselves. Easier said than done for a teenager boy, right? Amen. But that's the reality. We don't endorse it. We don't walk around with, you know, it's okay. You, want you, you, you can check out the menu. Even if you've already ordered, you can still look at the menu. Do you know what you just equated your wife and other women to? The menu board at McDonald's. That doesn't sound valuing. That doesn't sound like you're lifting women up. I don't think we should teach our sons this concept of eye candy and menu boards. Now, how many times did I hear that as a junior high kid? Yeah. But that's not something as parents we should endorse. Rather, we should endorse the valuing of a woman, learning etiquette, caring for a young woman, 
you know, guiding your thoughts to the fact she's the image of God, not easy, but trainable, especially if it's brought by their fathers. On the other hand, ladies, modesty really lands in your court. And I've had one problem with modesty with guys, and that was many years ago when we were at the beach and some kids in our youth group decided to wear Speedos. Disgusting. But the whole point was, we covered those guys up. It was done, right? That's the biggest modesty problem I've had with a male in, in youth ministry, at least. On the other side, I just have to tell you the truth, ladies. You can feel like, hey, I can dress however I want. They need to control themselves. But that's like the pornographer saying, I can shove, I can shove uh, naked pictures of women at your men all I want. They have the right to look away. There's a moral, re- there's a moral responsibility on both sides. And so the scriptures invoke you to think about your character more than how you dress. Because these guys, these kids, and some men are struggling not to look. They're fighting. And some ladies and some of our kids are fighting to get them to look. And if that's the case, and you're fighting with your child about modesty, you need to have a conversation about image and value. Because that's what it's about. And and my wife would be up here, she'd say that, but she's not here, so I got to say it for her. And the reality is that in modesty, it's a conversation of value. Where are you garnering your value from? Who are you garnering your value for? And there needs to be lines. You need to think through that. And I know it looks cute. I know it's fashionable, but you can be cute and fashionable and modest at the same time. It's possible. Even in bathing suits. It's out there. There's some pretty amazing stuff that's going on in this world. So stand firm in that. There are other, I mean, you need to talk about drugs and alcohol. And the number one place most people lose their virginity is when they're drunk. It's, it's a very high percentage rate because they lose the power of their own perceptions and their own, and control over their own, um, you know, their own self-control. And so there's a reality that we need to draw lines about sex and drugs even in this conversation. So guys, when we get into this, you see why it's talks. You can't do all this in one. You have to have continuous talks. And so he goes on then to, to converse. He says, now you have these boundaries. Stay away. Keep your foot away. Lest you give your honor to others and your ears to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of the foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan and with your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated and dis- disciplined and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin. And they assembled congregation. And the point here is he's saying the decisions that, and this was awesome, it was delivered at an elders meeting by one of our elders. And one of the men just sat down and he said, I just lament the fact that honestly, I have to live with the choices of an 18-year-old me. Think about that. How many of us in this room are living with the choices of our 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old selves? And the reality is these path consequences is that you live with them forever. The life you're living now is not the only life you live. You'll wake up one day into eternity and you'll live another life. But the life right now you live affects the life you will live when you're older. And what he is saying is make good choices now because you may find yourself in some miserable situation. Married to the merciless is is how he pretty much starts. I mean, who wants, because you're so connected to this person, they don't really care about you, but they're married to you. In the ancient world, that was very common. You find yourself a slave that's called addiction. And there are many people who find themselves in the throes of addiction when it comes to sex, pornography, and other things like that. These things are not one-time events. They are enslavements. Some of you are wrestling with the fact that you're, you're a single mom because you had a child out of wedlock. And that's just a different wrestling match that, that you're wrestling with on your own. 
Some of you are struggling with a divorce because of a past, and that's affected you. Guys, there are consequences unforeseen and immense, and that's why we don't stay with the dangers. We move on to tell them how it's best in marriage. You see, if a man and a woman actually keep themselves from marriage in the ideal situation, and they get married, the percentage of an STD occurring in that marriage is really low. The percentage of having a child out of wedlock that you have to deal with is zero. The percentage of, of divorce drops precipitously. And the reality that you'll have a wonderful sex life actually increases. Unlike common culture that tells you, you need to test drive the marriage out before you actually get married, which is just another despicable terminology that we like to use, what they find is two innocent people walk in who don't know what they're doing. They figure it out. And as they figure it out, they keep learning and figuring it out. And as they keep growing and figuring it out, they get to give sage advice as I was given before I was married by somebody I thought was ancient. You know, I'm like, you're, dude, you're ancient, man. He's like, nah, I'm having the best sex I've ever had in my life now. And I'm like, oh, that's so encouraging. <laughs> and the reality is that everyone I talk to who has a healthy give and take, learning and knowing, growing in their understanding of their spouse and the dance that we talked about yesterday, their sex life gets better and better and better as time goes on, not worse. And the reality is we're just, we're not letting our kids hear the most beautiful aspects of the story. And we need to inform them and give them that and help them then learn how to have good relationships so they can have that wonderful life. All those pieces connect together. And so teach them that. But know there's appropriate times throughout their lives. Jim Burns in his book, Teaching Your Children Healthy Sexuality, this is the book that we were offering out at the Connections Table. We sold out of it. But if you want it, it's online. It's by Jim Burns. You can look it up. He gives you actually dates, you know, and from two to five, what should you talk about? And it's pretty much, you know, about the fact that, you know, the you know, kindergarten cop language, boys have penis, girls have vagina. That's all they need to know. Boys and girls, and God's God, how God made them. And pretty much that's good. Then you move into the next level and you need to start talking about six to, six to nine, you start talking about actually the rudiments, what it is and how it works and why, how babies are made. Because guess what? That's typically on a farm when a little boy would go out and go, what are the cows doing? What are the horses doing? They're, they're wrestling, son. But the, the dogs are wrestling. Everybody's wrestling. <laughs> and then several months later, where'd these babies come from? Right? It was part of natural life when you live with animals. And so from about six to nine is about the time of curiosity where you need to give them the information and explain things to them. And then when you hit about that 10 to, 11, 10 to 14 stage, 11 to 14 up in this area, as they're getting older, now you start talking purity. You start teaching them about the dangers and you help them out. Down here, you're teaching them, don't, you know, don't talk to strangers. Now you're telling them why. And then you get up to the next level. And now you're, when you're up to the 18 level and on, you're talking about what healthy marriage looks like and what a healthy relationship looks like. And you're helping them govern their eyes and their minds. And you're giving them the best foot forward. And it gives you tons of that information in this book. Again, I advise you, get books, read up on this. Don't be ignorant. Use this series however you can. Know what you're going to talk about. It's empowering. And you can do it. Now, to finish this off, however, we live in an interesting world. And so there are some cases that some of you parents might have to face. I'm going to give you some quick advice on these as I've read up on them so that you can have it ready. First of all is how do I handle it when? When my child tells me they've already had sex. 
Your child comes, he says, I, I'm having sex. This is what I've done. You know, this is how it goes. How, what do you do? First of all, I want you guys to understand that this is extremely emotional and hard for a parent to handle, right? So you guys are going to be on tilt. But start with the reality that Jesus calls us to whatever you wish others, that others would do to you, do also for, to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That's not to endorse it. That is to give grace. The way that you treat them is with grace. If they're repentant, especially. If they're not, at least, you know, listen and be gracious. But you need, if they're, most of the time when a child comes to you and tells you as the parent, I'm having sex, is because it's not going well in their life. Something is radically wrong and it hurts. And they need to tell you. Otherwise, you're talking to them because you discovered it. And you can just kind of move into the next stuff, which is keep calm and listen. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Dads especially slow to anger. Keep calm and listen carefully. Because this is a conversation that can be difficult and you need to keep your cool because you don't want to shut down the communication. You want to open it up. You want you to be the safe place where they can discuss this and be able to get it out. What do you do next? Well, actually, this is where you, you turn the corner. Uh, before you, you, once you've listened, now you get a doctor's appointment. Well, they only had it the first time. They only said they had oral sex. You get a doctor's appointment, period, because you don't know what could have gone on. You don't know what the other person could have had. You have no clue, and this makes it super serious. Welcome to the doctor. You're going to now tell the doctor. If you need to tell the youth director, you go tell the youth director. And you make them go through the procedures of making sure that they have aligned themselves with their values and safety for their own body. This ups the seriousness level to a student who suddenly realizes, oh man, this isn't a joke. These dangers are real. There's tests for these things? Yes. Then move into building new boundaries and helping with consequence. You have to accept the fact that they've made choices and you have to help them now with their child brain to make adult decisions. And so Jesus puts it this way, if your right hand causes, if your right hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to with two hands or two feet be thrown into the eternal fire. And his point here is not to actually literally chop your kid's hands off. That's not the point. The reality is that you're to do drastic things against sin. Drastic measures. If that means they're struggling with pornography, you just shut off the internet. Take away their phone. Make sure they don't have that opportunity. How am I supposed to get a hold of them? I don't know. Find a, find a cell phone that doesn't have a camera on it and beg somebody to turn it on. Start your own company that sells those kind of things. Who knows? But the point is simply that we got to have some kind of boundaries that are built. There's a relationship. Dad, you get on the phone, you tell that guy, leave her alone and never call her back. If there's an aggressive girl or some situation where it's handy, you say, listen, I need to talk to your dad. You know, kind of, the, you need to man up, gut up, and get it done. You need to help him build boundaries. And then you include consequences. If you continue in this direction, what do we need to do? And you work it out together. Your child can think through these things. If they're in hurt and pain, they don't need to continue. They know they will give you help. So finally, start talking about sex regularly. Just keep talking about it. And so that leads to the next one. What happens when my, what do I do when my, child tells me they've been abused. It, uh, statistics that I've seen state that one-third of women before the age of 19 have been molested. One-sixth of men by the age of 19 have been molested. This is an overly and sadly too common event occurring with the sexualization of our culture. And so what do you do when your child comes to you and says, 
mom, dada, or mom. It's typically mom first, mom, I've been abused. First thing that you need to do is you need to get alone into a safe place and listen. Yes, listen, as James told us, be calm. Don't, but the next thing you need to do is you need to believe them. How many stories have I heard of women whose parents didn't believe them? Ignored what was said, wouldn't deal with that uncle because most, and the reason why they don't believe them is because most molestation, most sexual abuse occurs from somebody you know, not from some stranger down the street who drove by and stopped and saw your kid and said, hey, I want to get my van. That's the rarity. It is usually an uncle. It's usually a cousin, uh, some kind of uh, babysitter or somebody like that. And you know them. So when they tell you that, it's hard for you to believe it, but believe them. It is very rare for a child to lie about this. And besides, if you believe them and you step forward by calling CPS and you step forward by, making, by getting them checked and going through the process, the child eventually feels the pressure to tell the truth if they've been lying. Especially if you do it right, by going to a doctor and making sure that's right, getting count, immediately connecting with a counselor, working through this process. But belief is one of the most important things that you can do. And focus on loving your child, not being negative toward the abuser. You gotta love your child. Even though you want to be negative towards the abuser, it's super huge. And so, that, that's a difficult concept. There are plenty of books. Get help. Read up on it. There's plenty of help out there in the world to help you walk through that process. But this one, there's a little less help in the Christian world. And it's new. How do I handle when my child tells me they're gay? And some of you have had to walk through this already in your life. And it is very difficult, but I want to give you what, um, what one book that I find was probably the best book I've read in a long time on, on homosexuality and how it's working with the church. And he basically says this, listen, the first thing that you should do is you want to stay calm and listen, right? That's how all these work. You got to check your emotions, listen, listen, and then realize you need to not respond immediately. It is so emotional. And so heartbreaking for, especially for a Christian parent to enter into this conversation, you have to distance yourself. And the reason why is because your son or your daughter who is telling you this has already had tons of time to process it. They've been working through their, their same-sex attraction for far longer than you knew. Their friends have talked to them probably already. They've already probably talked to a teacher or something like that because they're scared to talk to mom and dad. And by you not responding immediately, it allows you to have process. Now, obviously, you say, you know, we just really need to think through this and pray about that. And that's especially important because you need to step back and allow yourself some time to breathe. Then, avoid polarization. What's that? Polarization occurs when, in Christian families, when the parents suddenly gather together, they may polarize against each other too, but they gather together and they go, we're Christians, this is evil and sin, and you're the spawn of Satan, and, da, 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 and whatever, you know, there's, there's all kinds of reactions we fear. Look, polarization is to cut the child off and lose the family relationship. The other side is to polarize against your faith and say, this is all bad and stupid and the church is wrong and the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. And so we, are, we applaud that you are being, being part of this and we're so proud of you. And that is to abandon faith and the biblical message. You have to be here where you do not lose either. And that means you need a tactic, a strategy. What's that strategy? What Yarhouse in his book advises is you focus on description, not identity. Our culture has given a narrative to our children and to, our, to all of us that if you feel this, you are this. 
I mean, I'll tell you what, we felt a lot of things in our lives that were not. But to feel these same-sex attractions is part of what's going on in your life. And so he suggests that you talk through, this is called same-sex attraction. So you're feeling these attractions. Okay, have you done anything with them? Be descriptive, not identity. And why you do that is because identity is not based on one aspect of your life. Identity is based on the totality of your life. And so he suggests you walk with your child and you help them walk through a process of thinking about one. Yes, this is a portion of how I feel. But then also, what about the fact that God made me a man? I should focus on that too. And that God's given me his faith and that I have a purpose. You know, I have a job. I, I have an education. You know, I have, I'm, a part of, I'm, I'm a part of this particular area of corona. There's all these other aspects that pour into your identity, and it's encouraged that you help integrate into those. So that's a part of who you are. And most Christian men and women who have gone through an integration process like that live in holiness, knowing that this is part of who they are, but focus on the totality of themselves. And so they, they have same-sex attractions, but they don't live in the behaviors. And they live fulfilled lives. And they've chosen that route, understanding that God is sovereign. And God will handle all of these desires in every human heart. And so this gives them a chance to begin to think through that process of description. And then finally, take the long view. This is not a permanent situation, typically. Many 18-year-olds and younger who have identified with the gay lifestyle, by the time they're 25, leave it. And so there's a reality that this isn't the long-term view. Some it will be. But take a longer-term view, knowing that integration can occur in different ways, and be gracious. And that way you can love your child, though they have these desires, And love your Lord and be able to draw appropriate boundaries working together in a respect for one another. And that's hard, but it's possible. And there is information, again, out there to help you. Not as much, but it's out there. So I'm just giving you guys this information so that as parents, you can begin to really conceive and handle. And as grandparents and as friends of parents, you can begin to help each other handle these very difficult, touchy situations. And so I encourage you guys, to, to think through these things and, and to really work forward. Now, I'm out of time, and so I, I'm way out of time, but, uh, the, but this is important for me as a parent too. So I want to encourage you guys, be a good model as well. Hypocrites can't lead people. So if you're wrestling and you have sexual things in your life, get them dealt with. Get them dealt with. Don't be a hypocrite. Walk in your faith and walk faithfully in your faith. And so in that way, you can see what God can do. But let's be courageous. Let's have these conversations with our kids. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? You know, we talked about a lot of different things and hopefully I haven't brought up anything that has brought you to an unnecessary guilt or shame. But maybe in this room today, there's some of you who aren't walking with Christ and you, you desire somehow to be free of maybe some sexual sins or things that are going on in your life where you don't want to be a hypocrite when you talk to your parent, when you talk to your children. But I'll tell you what, without Christ, I don't know how you overcome these things. And I want to encourage you that perhaps what you need to do is have a relationship with God who can lead you in this instead of trying to do it all by yourself. And maybe you have in the past some horrible things that have happened to you. Maybe some rapes or maybe some promiscuity or something. 
I just want to remind you that God still loves you. God has not abandoned you. You're still made in his image and you're just infinitely valuable. And that, that recovery from those harms and shames begins by having a relationship with God. And he's offered you his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to take the sin and shame from our lives and to give you his righteousness, which he accrued on earth. So that when you stand before God, you have a clean slate. And a relationship with him can begin. In fact, he rose from the dead to give you a new life so that you can live in that relationship. And so, this morning, you may need to begin by having that relationship with him and receiving Jesus on the cross. And if that's you, I'll give you a chance to do that right now. It's his gift. You don't do anything to earn it, but it's given out to you to receive freely if you would like it. And if that's you this morning and you'd like to receive that, just give you a chance. You can put your hand up saying, that's me. I'm gonna walk you through a prayer where you can turn from sin and turn to God. So if that's where you're at this morning, just right now, lift up to God and just start with confession. Say, God, this is my sin. This is what I've committed. This is where I'm at. And when you're done with that, you can turn in what's called repentance to God, away from that life, and say, God, I'm giving myself to you. Ask him to take your sins on the cross. Ask him to give you his righteousness and new life and then ask him to lead you through the rest of yours. And God, I know that's a lot and then people have a lot to work through but I pray that you would just aid them as they pray to you and you release them of their sins and their guilt. As you come into their life, bless them greatly, I pray. And for the rest of us, give us courage to speak to our children and our grandchildren as we, as we should have uh, opportunity. We pray this In Jesus' name, amen.